live. All right. We welcome all you guys that are uh, watching us today to get these uh, podcast videos. <clears throat> I want to read to you this month's newsletter because we've been stressing this this month anyway. And I want you to get your, if you want to get on this newsletter, we're not sending these out for any other reason. I pray about these just like I would a sermon. So I'm not just trying to get something in your house. I'm trying to give you a seasoned word. Uh, but the, the scripture I use this time is, uh, uh, I want to read this newsletter so you guys can see what it may help you with or minister to you. This scripture is Amos 4 and 8. It says, so two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. And this is what the Lord said, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. And that's how the world works, right? Tries to give us the wrong things to satisfy ourselves. So I'm talking to you that are not getting the newsletter. We want to offer it to you. Those of you that are getting it and not reading it, I'm talking to you too. In Amos 4, God speaks to his people about returning to him. This chapter is a great illustration on how God uses situations to provoke his people to return to him when they have strayed from him. This time of year, somewhere in, the, in and around September, Jewish people are called to evaluate their lives, return to God in areas they have strayed. This concept is called teshuva. The challenge is for the people to be specific in their evaluation and to repent. Repentance would, would and does require a change in one's action. It's not just a confession. Take an inventory should be a regular event for a Christian. We want to make sure our lives match the word of God. And this is a scripture I threw in here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And that's Ephesians 4 and 1. In our lives, we do not want to disappoint the one who died for us and gave us eternal life. Our hearts should desire to please Jesus and our goal should be, to be, uh, should be the total devotion of our lives to his kingdom and purpose. Because of human nature, we find ourselves letting up in some areas of our Christian lives. In the course of our daily lives, we can allow things to, in our lives to get out of proper order. Keeping God first is a challenge from two directions. First, the enemy, Satan, desires to distract and discourage us. Satan is constantly offering us options that look appealing but those options will interfere with God's will in our lives. And Amos said, you wander, but you're not getting satisfied. You're going to the wrong place. The second challenge to keeping God first in our lives is the daily and weekly demands we feel in our lives. Because many people work hard and strive to succeed, there is a prevailing attitude in our culture that we deserve we can fill in the blank with different things that we think we've earned or deserve, but many times these things will be placed in front of Jesus and his will. So the reality for all of us is that we need to take inventory of our lives along the way, and we need to do this on a regular basis. When we see areas that we have strayed or drifted away from God, we need to return to God in those areas. The Lord told the church of Ephesus that they, have left, that they had left their first love. He told them to repent and return. I remember, I remember reading years ago about how ships in the sea would chart their course before modern technology. They would use the compass in the morning to start in the right direction. 
and used the compass again in the evening to make sure they had stayed on course. I think this is good advice for a Christian. And this is the last verse I used. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The Feast of Trumpets starts this week on the 15th at sundown. That is the completion of the first 30 days of Teshuva, or looking at your life and returning to God and maybe areas you've strayed. There will be 10 days from the 15th through Yom Kippur that are called the days of awe, and that is used as the final time to kind of take inventory. So not in a legalistic way, but in a Christian way, let's take this time and make sure we're where we ought to be with the Lord. Amen. Let's stand our feet. And we, all you that are watching us and that get our podcast, you're welcome to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, if you can uh, find our email there on our uh, website and send us your information. This is a day the Lord has made, and we're going to have a picnic. And we're going to baptize some folks. We're going to rejoice in the Lord, and we're going to make sure He knows that we love Him, that He gets all the credit for anything that happens here. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I like that. All my fears and all my troubles. You don't have to be under the weight of any of those. The Lord will deliver you from those. David said, what time I'm afraid, I will trust the Lord. The angel of the Lord encamps all around all those who fear him and delivers them. He don't just hang out to pat you on the back. He's there to deliver you. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him, receiver of divine favor. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What a word. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise one more time. tribe of Judah and he roars and the enemy is still let's give him some praise this morning hallelujah you're worthy of our prayer let's, let's give him some more praise but let's see if he could use our church to make those walls come down some churches he couldn't use to do that could he Think about where you were headed before you got saved. That ought to make you give God some praise. Amen. Hallelujah. You can see that again today through the Word. You can see it with the baptisms. 
We've got a lot to be excited about for what God's done around here. He is worthy of all of our praise and everything we can bring to Him. Amen. Children's Church is dismissed. There are two nurseries over there. If you have your Bibles, get ready. We're going to use them. Amen. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Psalm 24. I'm going to write this on the board real quick. You can look at this before we get into this text. <clears throat> We've seen this and heard this. Lord of hosts. That looks like the Lord of uh, eight right there. But you know what it means. Lord of hosts. You've seen the word host out through the Bible. The host of the heavens. The Lord of hosts. And a lot of times you'll see that word uh, or that phrase used in a time of, to express uh, war or warfare. Uh, you'll see it in, in the expression of God's power. So the base of this phrase in the Hebrew is to bring us back to God's power. Uh, army, his armies are the strongest in the world, so they're, they're expressed in that. But the power that this word gets from its root, I'm going to describe to you in just a moment. Let's go to uh, Psalm 24. Let me show you something here. Uh, as we read uh, some passages here to establish this phrase, the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and this ought to make you go leave here today with a lot of confidence. Uh, it says, uh, this is a Psalm of David. It said, the earth is the Lord's. Now that's part of this, the power where the root of this phrase comes from. The earth is the Lord and all its fullness. Somebody say amen to that. So everything belongs to the Lord, all right? Hold on, I'm going to preach here in a minute. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas. He's taking credit for everything, right? And established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So he wants everything clean, right? who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Uh, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him. Are you in that generation? Are you part of the group that seeks the Lord? Who seek your face. David said in another place, it's not your hand I'm after, it's your face I want to see. And that's what happens as we mature. We know God's going to take care of us. He don't always give us everything we want, but he's no, we know He's going to take care of us. And so we want to shift that gear and not seek in His hand so much as we want to see His face. That's relationship. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Now, all of this is leading us to the last phrase in this chapter. He says, He is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. I heard somebody say, Jesus, that's always right too. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So again, an expression here of the encompassing. When you hear the phrase or read the phrase, the Lord of hosts, God is basically illustrating to us He owns everything and He has power over everything. That's what He's saying. And this phrase 
brings us to Joshua chapter 10. Let me show you something here in Joshua. We were first, let me say, let me go to Isaiah first. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 45. But we were first introduced to this concept of God being the Lord of hosts uh, expressively in Exodus chapter 3. Because in Exodus, and I'm not going to go there, but in Exodus chapter 3, the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. Remember, that's how God caught Moses' attention. And that illustration there is an illustration of God of hosts. You and I couldn't set something on fire and it just stay there and not be consumed, right? It would burn up. God can consume the bush, set the thing on fire, and when he leaves, it looks like it's never had fire on it. He's the Lord of hosts. You hear me? I'm watch, watch how this unfolds in our Bibles, and then I'm going to go after the world here in just a minute uh, with something. In Isaiah 45, verse 11, he says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker. See how he illustrates that. Why? Because he's displaying himself as the Lord of hosts. He says, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands you command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. God's taking credit for that. So you really didn't come from a monkey. God made you and I. He made Adam and Eve to say that God made some other form of life and that over time it graduated to where we're at is saying that God's not perfect. It says, the Bible said he made us in his image. So you mean to tell me God didn't get that right the first time? You see how preposterous that is? But it's just like the things I've been saying to you. The devil's worked hard to dispel God getting credit for anything, whether it's creation or languages and writing and understanding and all of that. He's taken all of that away from God. He's taken the credit and gave it to the world, the education and science. But God illustrates, He wants to remind us that He's the Lord of hosts. I've made the earth, I created man on it. I my, I, my hands stretched out the heavens and all their host I have commanded. That's an important phrase because that means he's illustrating himself again here and he's going to say it here as the Lord of hosts. He said, I've commanded, I've raised him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city, let my exiles go free, not for a price nor reward says the Lord of hosts. So all of that, what's going on there, and I'm not going to get into the history of that, is illustrating God is the Lord of hosts. I want you to see how he's approaching this moment. He's letting everybody know he made everything, he's in charge of everything, and under th everything's under his jurisdiction. You and I may have things in our lives where we may watch the world out there and think, man, that look, nothing is outside of God's jurisdiction. Not, not anything going on on this planet, or anything going on out there in space or the heavenlies, it's all under his jurisdiction. Now, go with me to Joshua 10. In Joshua 10, we're going to see how God illustrates this once again. This is the Lord of hosts showing up here. In Joshua chapter 10, let's look at verse 7. Joshua 10, verse 7. And here's something that all of us are familiar with, this battle, but it illustrates God's power. So Joshua, in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 7, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him. There, that, that is always uh, uh, illustrated or a sidebar of the Lord of hosts. So we see the, the war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, 
Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Why? Because God made the earth and he made all the men and women on the earth. So nobody is going to stand before you. Joshua therefore came up, uh, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, uh, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, struck them down as far as Azekah and uh, Makedah, and it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and died, and there, uh, there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel who killed, uh, that killed with the sword. So God got involved here. He sent, who sent the hailstones? God. Who's in charge of the weather? God. You're going to see that clearly here in just a minute. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up Amorites from the children of Israel. And he said to the, in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Now, some of you probably heard this story about this guy in a science lab and they were wondering why there was a little discrepancy in time and the, the understudy remembered this Bible story and told it to the professor. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So what God did, God stepped into this moment and he controlled the host the sun is a part of the host of the heavens. He controlled the sun and the moon and made them stand still and made the day stay as long as, as Joshua needed for the day to happen. And he, so God basically is showing his power over creation right here. He's given his armies. He's using his heavenly army and given Joshua the earthly army time to do whatever they needed to do. Why? Because the Lord of hosts intervened here. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the activity from this covenant name that God gave His people, the Lord of hosts. All right? Now, let's go back to Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, this is another illustration of who God is, what He does in the, in the Lord of hosts, uh, how He conducts Himself over the affairs of men. It says... God is our refuge and strength and the very present help in trouble. Did Joshua find that out? He's not the only one that found that out. What a miracle there that God did because God is in charge of everything. Tell your neighbor, say God's in charge of everything. He's in charge of everything. Nothing about your life is coincidental. God is in charge of it. The thing that we have trouble with is cooperating. Uh, or letting things get in front of His will, like the newsletter said. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is be removed, and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled through the mountain shake, and though the mountains shake with its swelling, and there is a river whose... Why? Why is He bringing that up? Because this chapter is another chapter to illustrate the Lord of hosts. So the creation, it doesn't matter if creation is going crazy... He says, God's still in charge. Why? He's the Lord of everything. That's the Lord of hosts. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. We see the Lord of hosts working in Egypt. Remember that? Darkness covered the whole land. Their livestock was dying, but not in Goshen. Why? Because in Goshen was where God's people was at. And the Bible said even though darkness covered the whole land, there was light in Goshen. Amen. So that's what this psalm is trying to illustrate. It doesn't matter if the world's rocking and reeling and going berserk. If God's going to take care of you. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. When the livestock were wiped out, the Bible said the Israelites didn't lose any. Because God was in charge. And God is the Lord of hosts. So he controls the sun. He controls the moon. He controls the clouds. He controls the snow. He controls the rain. He controls the climate. He controls the temperature. He controls the thermometer. He controls Antarctica. He controls America. He controls Russia. He controls Australia. He controls South America. And he controls Kentucky. Our God is in charge. Quit listening to those dingbats. Your God is in charge. Tell your neighbor, say, quit listening to the dingbats. <laughs> so, the, he, he goes on to say, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us in verse 7. You see that? Let me back up. He says, he's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Help her. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Who melted the earth? Not us. Not our airplanes. God will melt the earth. Oh, it's going to get hot someday. Real, it's going to get real hot. The Bible says he's going to destroy the earth with fire. We're not going to do that. We don't have the power and authority to do that. This earth don't belong to us. The deed's in heaven. And God's going to destroy this planet. He is going to make a new one. He's going to have a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. That's all true. We don't get to do that. God takes the pleasure to do that. He's going to destroy it. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And that's a good place to say this. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Who is that? The Lord of hosts. Now, host means that everything is under God's command. In other words, if God says, sun, stand still, it has to stand still. If God says, let it snow, it has to snow. If God says, stop the rain, the rain has to cease. So God's in charge of all that. I'm going to prove that to you in the Scripture. You don't have to take my word for it, but you should if you've read your Bible at all. He says, emphasis, the emphasis with this Lord of hosts phrase, war and army and power is part of that, but the deepest emphasis of this is expressed with creation and nature. That's what God's trying to get across. I made everything. I control everything. I got one amen. I made everything, God said, and I control everything. He does. I don't care what they teach in school. God is in control of the weather. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. So the emphasis is on creation, nature. Warfare is also expressed with Lord of the hosts. And I'm going to show you how this works out. Just think about this for a minute. Elisha's bones. Dead soldier falls in, comes back to life. How about the rocks crying out? Jesus said, if we tell these people to stop praising me, the rocks are going to start crying. Why? 
because he's the Lord of hosts. The rocks have to obey his command. How about that donkey that nobody had ever ridden on? We all know if you're raised up around livestock, you know you don't ride something that ain't been ridden on or broken unless you're the Lord of hosts. That donkey, don't you think for a minute that donkey didn't know who was sitting on him? He knew his creator. And see, that's, that's a big part of this phrase, Lord of hosts, is that recognizing him as the creator. And I've said this many times from this pulpit. When you read your Bible, notice how many times God proclaims himself as the creator. Old and New Testament. Over and over and over. And that's the crux where the world's tried to do away with that. And then, and then another thing, how about Jonah and the fish? Was that fish under his command? Do you think it just so happened that Jonah got threw over and he just so happened to get thrown in the right spot and it just so happened a fish big enough to swallow him was just so happened to pass by and it just so happened that that fish was going to go to Nineveh and spit him out without eating him? It just so happened? None of that stuff just so happened. God orchestrated all that. He told that fish, get over there, swallow my man. Did I say swallow? I did. Swallow my man and spit him out where he's supposed to be. You think God ain't long-suffering? Just look at Jonah. And then how about Jesus calms the storm? That's the Lord of hosts. Saying, peace, be still. Who controlled the weather that day? Jesus. And then the other one, what about Jesus walking on the water? The storm had no power over him. Why? He's the Lord of hosts. Now, go with me to Job chapter 37. This will explain to you clearly who's in charge of the weather. We've not got there on Wednesday nights yet in our study, but I'm going to jump ahead here with this morning because I want you to see who's in charge of the weather. In Job chapter 37, verse 1. At, at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven. His lightnings... Who's doing the lightnings? His lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, his voice roars. He thunders. Who does the thunder? God. Wow. Wow. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelous, marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. For he says... To the snow fall on the earth. Who does that? God does. Likewise, to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of His. Who's telling it to rain? Who's telling it to snow? God. And there ain't a thing we can do about it. You know that? He says, He seals the hand of every man, then all men may know His work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lyres. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind. And cold from the scattering winds of the north, by the breath of God, ice is given, and he and the broad waters are frozen. Who's in charge of all that? God, you all ain't saying it loud enough. We got to quit being afraid of the people that are lying out there, that are believing lies, that think, man, the height of arrogancy in this generation is to think that man can change the weather. That is the height of arrogancy toward God. That is the height. And that is people who have not read the end of the book. 
to think that man is going to destroy this planet. We cannot destroy this planet. We don't own this planet. It don't belong to us. It belongs to God. We don't have the deed. God himself is going to destroy this planet someday. The height of arrogancy among people who think they're smart. Paul said they're ever learning and they cannot come to the knowledge of the truth. The height of arrogancy of this generation is to think they have the power to change the weather. That is the height of arrogancy and pride. He said the breath of God, is get, ice is given, the broad waters are frozen, also the moisture. He saturates the thick cloud. Who saturates the clouds? God does. He scatters his bright clouds. Whose clouds are they? God's clouds. And they swirl about being turned by whose guidance? His guidance. Right? I feel like saying, talk to the hand. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> that they may do whatever He commands them. I got news for you. When it snows, it snows. When it rains, it rains. We're not in charge of that. God is. And you've heard me say this for years. One place that God lets everybody know who's still in charge is the weather. And somehow enough pride has got inside a man that he thinks he's going to deal with that. Let me tell you what that is. That is the same spirit that they had when they tried to build that tower in Genesis chapter 5 and they thought they were going to get to heaven. That's the same spirit that was on them, is on this crowd now that thinks they have the power to stop God from sending the clouds out or putting the rain in the clouds or making it snow or withholding the rain. I tell you, God God is in charge, and he's going to be in charge till the end of time. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of hosts. He goes on to say, he says, they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. You see that? God uses the weather to do three things. To correct things to bless His people, and to show mercy. That's what God uses the weather for. To take care of people, to correct some things, and to show mercy. How many can know that God withheld the rain on Israel because they were falling into idolatry? And then Isaiah, or excuse me, Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain because he'd come in line with God's Word God told them earlier, he said, if you're going to start worshiping idols, I'm going to withhold the rain for you. So all Elijah did was line up with God's word and start praying according to God's word. And God withheld the rain. And then later he prayed and the rain came. So God uses weather to cause us to line up with him. He does correct us with that. Nations, that's how he works in nations. So the highest form of arrogance in this world, the life we live in, is the fact that we think we can outdo God. God's in charge of that. Give yourself a break. You, if you're watching me, you catch this, or anybody that's being tempted to line up with the world on it, give yourself a break. There's other things you could be thinking about. Why think about it? Did your grandparents tell you to quit worrying about things you can't change? We all were told that. So quit worrying about the weather. There's nothing you and I can do about that. God promised He'd never leave us or forsake us. Just line up with His Word and follow Him and leave the weather forecast up to God. Half the time, man can't get it right no how. Right? They still, how in the world are we going to change the weather when we can't even forecast it? 
And so God's in charge of that. Don't worry about that. Let that go. Don't worry about things you cannot change, right? And so God's in charge here. Let me tell you something. You're flying an airplane, the earth's not, them, uh, them bunch of hippies out in Arizona last week or wherever they were at, burning that thing, that ain't going to cause the earth to melt down. None of that's going to happen. What's going to happen is the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with ten thousands of his saints and he will destroy those with the brightness of his coming and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Peter said that will be renovated with fire. You are serving not just the good God. Let me say it this way. You are serving the Lord of hosts. Thank goodness he's the good God. He's righteous. He cannot do any wrong. But what makes God God is that he has all power, right? God could be righteous and good, but if somebody had the power to overthrow God, we'd be in trouble. But what ultimately makes God, he's full of love, he's full of mercy, he's full of salvation, healing, forgiveness, all of that. But ultimately, what makes God, God is nobody can overthrow him. He's in charge. He made everything. He is the Lord of hosts. The good news for us is that he's righteous. He can't do any wrong. Turn with me to Psalm 84, and then I'm going to close. Turn with me to Psalms on... uh, uh, Siri's trying to talk to me. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> she heard that stuff for what I was saying. She wanted to probably come against it. <laughs> Lion, you're listening to lies, Siri, whoever you are. <laughs> Lion devils. Let's go to Psalm 84. He, say, he says, the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away but my word will stand forever. So that means what I read to you out of Job 37 will stand when everything else is gone. Look at Psalm 84. It's one of my favorite places in the Bible. It says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. So this is another demonstration of the Lord of hosts. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. So God's in charge of the sparrow. What did he say in the New Testament? Not one of them falls to the ground that he don't know about. Why? Because he's the Lord of hosts. He's in charge of the rain. He's in charge of the snow. He's in charge of the earthquakes. He's in charge of the sparrow. He's in charge of the great fish. He's in charge of mankind. He's in charge of the devil. He has to submit to God. God is the Lord of hosts. He's in charge of everything. He says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you because that's why we're praising this morning. We know who's really in charge, right? We know that. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed is the man, you, when you come, you and I come to the end of our strength, that's when we can tap into God's. And that's where we get the most productivity in our lives. When we start laying ourselves down, when we die to ourselves and we get into his strength. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. You realize where your help comes from. You realize you can't do anything without him whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. And that phrase there means somebody who refuses to turn back. That's what it means. What would make you turn back? Nothing, I hope. Ruth and Orpah illustrate that, right? They illustrate that. Ruth went on to be with the people of God, and Orpah, her sister, went back. 
went back to the death and the dying. Ruth went on to life eternal and became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. He says, um, blessed are those who are in your house. It will be praised you. Blessed the man who strengthens you, who's, who refuses to quit, basically. And as they passed through the valley of Baca, or a place of weeping, a place of death and dying, where they took their dead carcasses and their trash, blessed are they who pass through the valley of Baca and make it a spring. There's so much to preach out of here. I'm trying to avoid the temptation. Uh, the rain covers it with pools. So blessed is the person who can uh, give out fresh water in a, di in a place of death. And that's where we live. We live in a world that's full of death. They go from strength to strength. The Hebrew word there is kayil for strength. And it means they go from strength to strength. In other words, a person becomes an army within themselves. That's how much power. If God is for us, who can be against us? Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, a God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointing. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. You think about that. You need a little sunlight, but you don't need too much sun, right? You need a shield at times as well. All those beneficial, but God don't want us to be too much in anything. So he says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He's everything. He's the Lord of hosts. You see that? The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he, uphold, will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then the last line, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Why can you trust in the Lord? Because he's the Lord of hosts. Why don't you have to worry about tomorrow? Because he's the Lord of hosts. Why don't you have to fear death any longer? Because he's the Lord of hosts. Why don't you have to worry about whether you're going to eat? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed out begging bread. Because he's the Lord of hosts. Why don't you have to worry about the doctor's report? Because he's the Lord of hosts. Why don't you have to worry about if the economy fails? Because he's the Lord of hosts. Nothing in heaven's failing. Nothing in heaven's ever going to fail. So if the things of this world, that's why we read the first Psalm. He said, if the earth starts shaking, all the nations go away and everything's in trouble. He said, I'm not going to fear because I serve the Lord of hosts. Praise God. I'll leave you with this thought here as I close. The Bible said he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright. Now, if you grew up in church, you, when you see the word upright, a lot of times you will think of, you will think of uh, righteousness, perfection. That's not what that word is. The Hebrew word is tamim. I'm just going to transliterate that. Tamim. And it, it's the word we translate upright. And we translate that word there. And when you study this word, it means, and this, the Lord taught me this years ago, and it changed my life. Coupled to. Now, I worked in the coal mine. And one of my jobs was to load trains. So they would back the train cars up and then we would load them with coal. Sometimes 90 cars would back up the hauler, if you've ever been in a hauler. And we would load them with coal. All those, this, this was easy for the Lord to teach this to me. All those cars are coupled together, just with couple. And then the first car is coupled to the engine, or usually engines. And some of those cars... Some of the people we shipped power to was Dayton Power and Tampa Power and Duke Power, whatever. Those cars, they, they would look brand new. They'd look like a new nickel. 
They were so shiny, backed up the holler. And then all of a sudden, here'd be a car, a train gong that looked like it'd come in from Vietnam. It'd have holes in the side of it. The ladder'd be crushed back toward the car where you couldn't use it to climb up and look in it because we had to look in them. And the doors wouldn't shut. They were so rusty and old. So we would have to put cardboard in those holes, hold them till the coal got up over that and let it go and try to figure out ways to keep that coal in that car. Sometimes you couldn't read the numbers. The coal was, or the car was in such bad shape. We'd have to figure it out the best we could. But as long as that car stayed coupled to the rest of them, it went everywhere those shiny cars went. You may have been through some wars. You may have a hole or two in you. You may need some cardboard. We all have had to have a little duct tape in our lifetimes, haven't we? But as long as you stay coupled, you're going everywhere that engine goes. It doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter how many wars you've done. doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. As long as you've coupled up to the Lord, He's forgiven you, you're going down that track. Hallelujah. <laughs> you're headed to Tampa. <laughs> Tampa Power and Line. Tell them to just drop you off at the beach, right? Then, <clears throat> here's the problem. The cars... I don't care how pretty they were, how new they were, if they were set on the sidetrack, they wouldn't go nowhere. Don't set yourself out. Don't get bitter. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel sorry for yourself and go over there and sit on a sidetrack somewhere. You ain't going. Stay coupled. I don't care how many wars you've been through. Stay coupled. I don't care how many battles you face. I don't care how many holes you got in the side of your car. You stay coupled. And what do he say? Read it that way. The Lord will not withhold any good thing from those who stay coupled to Him. Ain't not, remember, I've been preaching this. Ain't none of us perfect. But we can all be consistent. And one way to be consistent is stay coupled. I don't care what you face in this life. Have a made-up mind. You decide yesterday. You guys come to the instruments. It's a day the Lord has made. We serve the Lord of hosts. Say that with me. We serve the Lord of hosts. Let's stand to our feet. We serve the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> so we're going to change the order here a little bit. We're going to be a little more aggressive. I want us to praise here because this is the moment we're in. <clears throat> I want us to go out with a praise this morning. If you're here and you need to be saved, come on out. We want to pray, we want to pray with you. But I want us to give a little praise here. I want us to remember... We don't have to cow down in some corner over there and not stand up for truth. Now, you don't need to be out there promoting yourself or, this is what I think, nobody wants to hear that. But if you're standing up for this, I mean, do what I do. If you've got an opinion, make sure it's, it's an opinion. Make sure people know that, right? Because your voice carries weight somewhere. My voice carries weight. And that's why when you see me in this pulpit, if I say, everybody says this is what the preacher thinks, right? Then I'm, I'm saying I want people to know that. You can do that some, but what you and I need to stand for is this, and we don't have to cow down about it, we don't have to hide about it, we don't have to keep our mouths shut about it, we can get on the housetop and proclaim the truth of the Lord. You know why I don't fear to preach any of this in here or say anything out of here? Because I didn't write it. This ain't my word. This is the Lord of hosts 
This is his word. And he said, I make it snow. I make it rain. I make the sun stand still. I hang the moon out. I send the clouds out. I am the Lord of hosts. I'm standing with him. You let somebody else go and die and raise from the dead, and then we'll talk. But right now, I'm sticking with the one that rose from the dead because he is the Lord of hosts. Amen? Are you ready to praise him? Let's give him some praise as we get ready to go into some praise time.